Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Church, I pray you are well. Hey, I'm excited to see all of you next week. So you got to go without me one more day. But hey, I have somebody else that's coming up to this stage in just a minute who's phenomenal. And uh, in fact, I'm married to her, so I'm a little biased. But I want you to give her just the warmest welcome here in just a moment. And she has been studying her guts out in the last couple of weeks about this message and really praying hard for what to deliver and to give you something just to chew on, something that's uh, meaty and something that's great to encourage you in your faith, no matter where you're at. And so would you do me a huge, huge honor by welcoming my favorite person in the whole wide world, my wife, Heather Vincent. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. What a cute boy he is. I really like him. I didn't know he did that, so that was sweet of him. But um, I do have something that I believe is from God for you today. Um, my first question for you, though, is has anyone had this privilege that I've had twice and now my third time of sitting as a passenger in a vehicle that is operated by somebody who is 15? <laughs> this is like one of those moments where you want to make sure your heart is right with Jesus and you truly, truly understand that you have no control over anything. This is why they teach you to drive defensively. It's because they know that someday there will be 15-year-olds on the road with you, and they want you to be prepared for those moments. And so um, my beautiful teenagers, they they probably feel as bad about it as I do. You know, like I loathe these days when I have no control, and they don't love that I am sitting in the passenger seat yelling words like, more breaks as we approach corners. So we're learning a lot about control or lack of control in our world. And and Derek shared last week a great message about how that lack of control ends up giving us a lot of anxiety and fear. We like to be in control, but the important thing is to turn control over to the one who really is in control and who can handle it better than we can. And so um, this morning, I really want to bring to you that idea, especially as we approach this week. So this week is going to be a historical moment for us, hopefully. Um, Pastor Chris asked me a couple weeks ago if I would be willing to speak this morning, and I always will only say yes to him if I feel like God's stirring something in my heart. And he told me when it was for, and I knew it was going to be right before the election. And so somebody I talked to about that was like, well, then you're going to tell everybody who to vote for, right? No, that's not what I'm here to do. What God put on my heart is to talk about what we need to do after Tuesday. So I feel like we're going to approach that idea of what comes after Tuesday, and hopefully this applies to way more things in your life beyond that. Um, I will side note and say, please do vote according to what you believe the Word of God is and what your Holy Spirit prompts you. And and there are great resources out there that tie faith in um, voting together and give you a lot of information. So do those parts, do those pieces, but I'm not going to tell you who I'm going to trust God to do that. But um, what's important in these coming days is that we choose our response wisely. We may not have control over what's happening, but we have to wisely choose our response. Just like when I'm sitting in the passenger seat with my son, I can choose to grab the wheel and take control. 
I can choose to yell and scream, or I can choose to use kind words and affirmation, like you you made it to the complete stop. Good job. And that one was a little bit better than the last time. Good. We're making progress, and I have faith that you'll keep making progress. There's different ways that we can handle things and choose to respond. And um, the reason that when Chris said, hey, Heather, do you want to speak this day? The thing that popped in my head is I'm reading a Bible in a year, and it if you have a version app, it's fabulous. There are a million different reading plans, and I'm doing one right now that's the whole Bible in a year, which sounds ridiculously overwhelming. It's not that bad. I've done it multiple times, but this particular app I love because it takes every day something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb. So if you're like, Old Testament, this person had this person who had this person who had this person, and you're wanting to poke your eyeballs out because you're bored, then you end up with something in the New Testament that's a little bit more engaging, or a psalm that really totally gets your heart. So each day there's something that I'm reading that's more exciting at least. And the other really cool part about it is these authors did an awesome job of picking chunks from each portion of the Bible that all weave together with a theme each day. So you'll be reading something in the Old Testament and in the New Testament they talk about that thing that happened or in Psalms David is talking about how God did that thing or whatever. It's that same theme. And you see that the Bible is not just some dead book on a shelf, that it really is one nice, cohesive, consistent message about God and his love for us through the whole thing. And right as I have been reading, I had just um, been in the book of Daniel, which is a super fun one if you're looking for something interesting to read. And so we're going to follow Daniel's example today, or we're going to study it at least, and I'm going to hope you're going to follow it. Um, You see, Daniel was an Israelite, and he lived in Israel. Those were God's chosen people, because they were sons of Abraham and Isaac and so on. And he lived in Israel, or in Jerusalem specifically. And um, King Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king. And at that time, Babylon was kind of like the world power. And Babylon came, and they um, overtook Jerusalem, and they took Daniel and some other people with them back to Babylon to kind of train them, to mentor them, to um, educate them so that they could be a part of uh, Babylon's service. And Daniel was one of these men. Some of his buddies you may have heard of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were also in that group. And so they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar to learn and to serve along with um, some of his other people. And there was one day when Nebuchadnezzar, who was king, got a little bit miffed. You see, he had a dream. And he went to his great astrologers and tarot card readers or whatever they had in that day, his magicians and enchanters, and he said to them, could you please interpret the dream for me? And they said, okay, sure, tell us what it was. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, "Uh, not so fast. I want you to tell me what I dreamt and then also tell me what it meant. And his enchanters and magicians in this group of wise people said, "Uh, that's not how it works. Nobody can do that. Like, you have to tell us the dream, and then we can tell you what it means. And this made Nebuchadnezzar a little bit angry because it didn't go his way, and so he had a great plan. We'll kill them all. So that was going to be the result. Just murder them all because they are useless to me, right? So Daniel heard about this, and he decided that that wasn't a good plan after all. So he sought the face of God and said, God, show me what to do. Show me what was going on here in this guy's dream. And God told Daniel about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. 
So Daniel went to one of these head hunter people and said, hey, before you kill any of us, could you bring me to the king because I have the answer for him. So Daniel um, went before the king and he said this in uh, chapter 2, verse 20. He said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. And then Daniel goes on to tell him what his dream was. Now I want you to keep in mind this before we go into the next verse. Daniel was one of God's chosen people. He was one of the Israelites. They worshipped God, or they should have worshipped God. They blew it quite a few times, but he worshipped God. Nebuchadnezzar worships fake gods. Gods of stone, gods of rock, gods of wood, gods of gold, gods that were not actual gods. And yet Daniel says this in verse, 20, in, uh, verse 37. He says to him, to Nebuchadnezzar, The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. To me, that like means so much. Like He went to this guy who doesn't serve God. And states to him, like, God put you in this place. He acknowledges that God had chosen Nebuchadnezzar to be the king, and God had given him the authority, and it was all God's doing. What a beautiful picture to me. But then David or Daniel went on and told him about his dream, told him what it meant, and Daniel got this reply from King Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 47, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now what's beautiful to me is the change in his heart. That he saw that this God, the God that we serve here today, is the God of gods. He's the one that matters. He's the one that counts. And I'm going to side note for a moment here. I was listening to um, a media broadcast a couple weeks back. And the commentator was talking about one of our candidates. And they said they didn't understand why a particular organization supported that particular candidate. Because they're like, that, that candidate has all this stuff in their past. They clearly don't line up with that organization. I don't get why the organization is supporting them. Now, candidate and whatever aside, what broke my heart was that that commentator didn't see there was any possibility for hope or for change. He discounted the candidate because of his past. Thank the Lord that God doesn't discount us because of our past. That he doesn't discount me because of my past. And and Lord challenge me to not discount those I see because of their past or even their present. Because God can do a work in their heart. God can transform lives. God can help them see truth. And I, I want us to fight for that and cling for that and not want to run to the hills. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes through some other stuff, some not so pretty. Like if you've heard the story about the fiery furnace, it was not one of his good moments. And you'd think that the guy would have gotten it by now, but he didn't. He was really slow like some of us. And so he kind of kept having this struggle with God over the years. 
And then there's a part in chapter 4 that's really interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar is talking and then he kind of like makes a declaration and then tells a story about his past, kind of like a flashback kind of scenario. And so I want us to look at it together because it's a very unique story in my opinion. But starting in verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his wonders, how mighty his wonders, or sorry, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So he goes on and he talks about how he had this dream that nobody could interpret. So this guy dreams a lot. Makes me a little afraid to go to sleep if I'm him, right? But he can't find anybody to interpret, so he goes back to his good usual Daniel. And Daniel, he tells him this dream and says, So Daniel, I'm asleep, and there's this big, huge tree. With big branches filled with fruit. There are animals underneath it that are eating the fruit. They're protected from the elements because of this tree that's here. It's great. So you're picturing this like utopia almost, right? And then he says, this messenger came down from heaven and said, cut down the tree. So the branches start getting chopped off and the fruit and everything is thrown all around. The animals are all fleeing and they left only this little stump and the roots. And then the messenger says, the man will be like an animal. His mind will be like that of an animal for a time. Crazy, right? So Daniel starts to tell him this, not very excited about it. In verse 25, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. So the part I didn't read before Daniel went into that little bit was that Daniel was telling him that you are the big tree, Nebuchadnezzar. Like, people seek shelter from you. People get food from you. You are providing and all of that. But that that was going to be taken from him, and he was going to live like the wild animals. And before he had even finished saying it, a voice from heaven audibly says, yep, that's what's going to happen. And so then Nebuchadnezzar goes on in this chapter, and he explains what happened. Then he went and he lived out in the middle of nowhere. He drank dew from the ground. He lived with the wild animals. It said his nails were like eagle claws and his hair like thick, like feathers, like gross, gross grossness. But then he says in verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. 
he's already learned, right? It didn't get returned to him for him, but for the glory of his kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now, I don't know which part you would highlight in your Bible, but I threw some different pieces up there, I think, on the next slide. Yeah, like there's like half of it, right? Like this is so good, and this is so good, and this is so good. And I told Pastor Chris as I was working on this message hours and hours in, it was like I'm really, really struggling because this feels more like a Bible study and not like a great sermon, right? Like I didn't go to Bible school, but I was a part of Chris's life when he was enough to know you need like three key points, and you need an illustration and a verse for each one, and there's like an order to how you're supposed to do it. And I really felt like God was saying, Heather, you don't have to say anything, my my word says it all. So even though some of us maybe don't love to read and I'm giving you a lot from his word, I'm hoping that he's speaking to you through it and you're seeing things even that I'm not pointing out because that's how his word works and that's how he works. Like you might totally catch this little phrase and I might totally catch that one and that's awesome because God can speak to his Holy Spirit through his Holy Spirit to you whatever it is that you need to hear. So I'm sorry there's no one, two, three, but we're just going to see whatever it is God wants to throw at us. King uh, Nebuchadnezzar finishes out his life, his son Belshazzar takes over the throne. Gotta love these names. So those of you who are still bearing children as you're thinking of some creative ones, the Old Testament is always a great place to look. Uh, So Belshazzar is now king, and he's having a party at the palace with his concubines and his wives and his friends, and they're all sitting around drinking and eating. And they look over, and on the wall, a hand is moving, and words are showing up. There's no arm or body attached, just a hand, as far as we can understand, on this wall writing. Now, they may have had a little too much to drink, and that may have swayed their thinking a little bit, but they definitely knew this was not normal, and they were a little bit freaked out. And one of the women said, I've got a great idea, call Daniel in. Poor Daniel. (laughs) He gets drug away from his family and taken captive by these Babylonians who don't know who God is and they're worshiping sticks and chunks of gold and whatever. And then whenever everything's going really bad, he gets called in on the job, you know, like superhero Daniel to the rescue. But that was the role that God had for him. And so Daniel saw the writing and he answered King Belshazzar wasn't so good. In verse 18, he said, Your majesty, that alone speaks volumes to me, but your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. And then in verse 20, it says, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people until until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Here is what these words mean, and I'm sure I'm going to have the wrong accent and the wrong whatever, but here's what they are. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel was the second word. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. 
And the third word was Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. No time wasted there. So, for whatever reason, Nebuchadnezzar had lots of opportunities, and he chose to listen and heed God's correction and change. And for whatever reason, Belshazzar, we don't see that. I don't know why. I'm not God. Someday we'll see the whole picture. But now this is the end of the Babylonian Empire, and Darius comes in, and the Persians and the Medes kind of take over as the dominating power in the coming days. Darius isn't great either. You may have watched his version in a Veggie Tales with the bunnies and stuff like that. But Darius thought he was hot stuff, so after some of his smart politician friends came and told him he should build a statue of himself, he thought that was a splendid idea because who doesn't want a statue of yourself? I mean, I don't. I'm not really even a selfie person, but I understand maybe somebody would want that. So he builds this ginormous statue and then says, we're going to play music and whatever we do, everybody's going to bow down to this statue of me because that makes a lot of sense. Probably not to us, but it probably did to them in their world and their culture when they had all these fake gods that they would bow to like that did something. And Daniel was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he knew that God told us not to bow our knee to anybody else. He wants to honor the king, but you can't break God's laws. So he chose to obey God, which was the right choice. And some of these great politician friends of Darius's came and told Darius, hey, that guy Daniel you like so much isn't bowing to your statue. And so Darius was now stuck between a rock and a hard place because he likes Daniel, but if he lets Daniel off, then what kind of a king and a ruler is he because he made this law, you've got to stick to it. So he does what his great politician friends told him to do. He puts Daniel in a den filled with lions. And Darius doesn't sleep all night. He's like troubled in spirit because he knows this was not wise and he's worried about Daniel and in the morning he goes frantically over there and sees all these lions and Daniel alive and well and he pulls Daniel up. Now you may think well those must have been some really boring lions who had sleeping pills or something like that but when Darius pulled Daniel out he hunted down those politicians that didn't have those great ideas and their families and fed them to the lions instead and they didn't make it so it wasn't the the lions unless Daniel smelled really really bad to a lion but I'm not thinking it was that I'm thinking it was strictly the hand of God that protected him and then Darius says this Maybe. There it is. I'm like lost it in there. Um, In chapter 6, verse 25, Darius, uh, the king Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. Now, as I was rereading it for the 800th time this morning, I was thinking about that. Wouldn't it be great if a politician got up and said, I issue a decree that you are all going to worship the God of Heather. I would be super pumped. I mean, not only that they acknowledge that God is my God, like that means a lot, right? I mean... 
You kind of wish Darius would call him his own God too now. He didn't take ownership of that God. He left that as Daniel's God. But like it would be awesome if a politician was like, we are all out with all this other garbage. We are going to honor the God of Heather. But will that happen? I mean, it did. Will it happen again? I don't know. Because I feel like God doesn't necessarily want that to be the decree. He wants that to be our choice. He wants us to want to honor the God of heaven. He wants us to see him for what he is. He could already mandate that we all worship him and do what he says. But he doesn't because he wants our heart. He wants it to be our desire and our natural response. So a couple of things that I found that were interesting as I was reading through these books and, and studying these three men. God chose who would lead. He placed them there. And you may have noticed in those scriptures, I highlighted a whole bunch of stuff and made it bold so that you could see how many times Daniel said God placed them in authority. And now, yes, that's Daniel saying it in the Old Testament. That's one person. But think about what that means, even for Daniel to say that. The guy, remember, who was taken captive, who was now underneath not godly leadership, who kept acknowledging time and time again, what was God doing in his heart to make him see so evidently that God had placed those people in authority over him and submit to that and honor that over and over and over? That must have been just God over and over talking to him. You just gotta you just gotta honor Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel. You be patient with King Nebi. He's I'm working on him. Right? I mean can you kind of picture that playing out? That's how I see the, I see God with a really good sense of humor. But God chose to put them there and he didn't pick these amazing godly men to be in charge of Israel. He didn't pick these like super Christians. He picked these really self-absorbed, control freak, crappy people who needed a savior. Right? Anybody anybody feel like we're going to see some of that? Mm. But here's another interesting thing. God's people utilized the place that God put them. So Daniel didn't shirk from what God asked of him. Daniel fell to his face and prayed and sought God's direction, but he still honored those leaders. He still did what he could to learn. We're going to see again how he would study on his own the scripture to know and to hear God's voice and sought him time and time again and utilize that place. I believe that God is asking us to do something that's very anti-cultural. I believe he's asking us to honor. To honor our leaders. The word honor means to make heavy or weighty, to take seriously, kind of not to take lightly. And I'm guessing that it probably ties to that concept of like a name having weight or clout to it, kind of that idea. I think it's interesting that there are ten commandments and one has a promise and it's the one that says honor your father and mother and it will go well with you. I have a wonderful mother and father. They are very easy to honor. I understand that we don't all have that. I understand that a lot of our mothers and fathers, bosses, politicians, people of leadership in our life are not the most respectable people. 
but when I read the commandments, it does not say honor your mother when she makes you your favorite chocolate chip cookies. It does not say honor your father when he wins the Dad of the Year award. It says honor your father and mother, period. I think our culture gets things wrong. We think that forgiveness is about saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay that you did that hurtful thing to me, it's okay. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, yeah, you did that thing and it hurt, but I am going to not hold you in judgment. I'm going to let God deal with you. I'm going to keep my hands out of this. And we think that honor should be like for those who have earned it. But God isn't saying that. He is saying honor, period. Because I have put them in that spot. That is enough to tell you you need to do something about it. Now, some of those people are not seeming to be honor worthy. So what does that look like? I know in our home we've struggled with that and had conversations about how do you honor that person that uh, an abusive father, for example, or a drunk father who doesn't provide for you. How do you show them honor? And I can't answer that for you, but I think that God can. I think that if you ask him, God can begin to reveal things to you about what that needs to look like for you in your heart. Because it's so is all about the heart. It's not about the words. It's not about the what you're doing. It's really all about the heart. And I think that God loves people so much. I think that he loves that man that was abusive. I think he loves King Nebuchadnezzar who wanted to wipe out people because they made him mad. I think he just loves people. He created them. He sent Jesus to die for them. And who am I to say that I deserve more honor or I deserve more respect or that I make better choices because I'm sinful too? And God loves that other person just as much as God loves me. And if God will sacrifice his son for that person and if God will move things in heaven and on earth to try to get that person to come and have a relationship with him, then why should I be discounting them? Why should I be bashing them on social media? Why should I be talking negatively about them? God says to honor. So I want, you, I want to challenge you, and this is a challenge for me too. Think about who God has placed in a position of honor in your world. Is it your spouse? Is it your parent? Is it your boss? Is it your teacher? Who is it that's in that spot that he's asking you to give honor? He's asking you to make a choice, not out of a feeling, but a decision to choose to obey him and to give honor there. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. It's because now the Romans are in charge and they have an emperor. But same idea shows up in the New Testament that we saw over and over again in Daniel. And then in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 7, I think are interesting. One says... Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, I know Pastor Chris has said this before, but when God repeats the same thing, it's kind of like, hello, dummies, did you catch it? Let me try one more time. Not that he really says we're dummies. I'm not... That's how Heather hears from God, okay? Like Heather, knock, knock, put in head, right? So he's like really trying to drive that point home. And then in verse 7, it says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. 
But what if you're not feeling the love? (laughs) Okay, Lord, I know you want me to do this, but I'm just not feeling it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's a scripture that says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I found that to be true. It's weird that the stuff in the Bible is true, but so far, that's what I found. You laugh, but come on, we've all had that moment. Like, where there are places where I've given money and tithe, like, my heart tends to be there. I tend to feel connected and invested, and I think of that with this prayer thing, too. When you're praying for somebody, like that person that just makes you so mad, if you just start praying for them over and over and praying blessings over them, you, you watch and see how crazy things in your heart and your vantage point for them changes. So like I said, this week we're going to have some change in leadership in a lot of different ways. And the question is going to be, what is our response as the church to what happens? Are we going to run in fear and move to the Bahamas? Are we going to curse things out on social media and yell at everybody who doesn't think like we do? Or are we going to acknowledge that God places them in authority? I was honestly even thinking about all this controversy about ballots and if things are going to be pulled one way or the other by a party and it's not going to be an authentic vote. And The human in me gets anxious about that. And then I hear this and I go, you know what, God's got this. And if it looks like ballot fraud and God puts that person there, then that's how God put that person there. And I'm going to choose to honor and I'm going to choose to pray. And I'm going to choose to trust that God wants to get a hold of their heart and that they can change because they need Jesus. Now, as we bring this to a close, I want to tell you about something that happens near the end of Daniel. He reads the book of Jeremiah, which is a book of prophecy in the Old Testament, and he realizes that all this turmoil that they've gone through as Israelites is because they've sinned. Like, God warned them about it, and he's like, oh yeah, we blew it. That's why we're here under these crazy kings. And so Daniel does something about it. Starting, I'm going to start in verse 15, but I want you to kind of follow along and listen and think about how it applies to us today. He says, Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt, way back, that was the Exodus and the Red Sea thing going on, with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake. My God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. We have just a moment left. If you don't know God, you should get to know him. I don't know how I could do life without him. I don't want to be like Nebuchadnezzar and have to live like a wild, crazy animal until I get a hold of the idea that God loves me and that his ways are for me and that he's good. And I don't want you to either. 
So if you've never met him, I challenge you to get to know him. If you don't know how, there are awesome people around here that would love to talk to you about it. Or you can text the church number and that works too. Would you pray with me for a moment for our hearts and for this nation? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you are God and you are in control. We don't have to live in fear, Lord. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to do it on our own strength. You are God and you've got this. And in the end, you win and we can rest in that. Heavenly Father, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our selfish ways as people and as a nation. May your hand of favor rest upon us. Lord, may we hunger after you in your heart. May our desire be to know you and what you want for us in our lives. Heavenly Father, whatever happens this coming week, we know that you're in control and we trust you and we give you glory and we praise your name for what you're going to do. Lord, help our hearts be quick to honor and to love and to pray. And Heavenly Father, we don't make requests because we're righteous, but we make them because of your great mercy. Listen, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Hear us and act. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I love you all, and I hope you all have a fabulous week. Make sure you say hello to somebody on your way out and have a great conversation. Take care. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.